Howdy, Whovians. Welcome back to Doctor Who A to Z. My name is Alan. And I'm Josh. And Alan, before we continue, uh oh, you know, just out of, you know, apropos of nothing, completely unrelated to anything going on right now, uh, have you ever had a guest come and visit your house and then just they won't leave and they overstay their welcome and you can't get rid of them? You ever had that happen to you? Man, it's annoying. Anyway, completely unrelated. Ashley's here again. And I'm hey. Ashley. Wow. <laughs> How you boys doing? How was Thanksgiving? Good. We're good. I can't believe we've got Ashley here again. He just stayed. He won't go away. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't go away. I had to come back and... and uh, two weeks. Talk two weeks you stayed. Just yep. haunting our <laughs> podcast studios. <laughs> well, so, you guys locked the door and I couldn't get out. You know, Surviving off of crumbs and wrappers that we left on the floor for you. <laughs> so anything special happen in the world of doctor who this past couple of weeks oh wait we had a new episode tonight we're going to be talking about the star beast first though we've got one little bit of news that we want to talk about super quick and that is big finish announced an upcoming series of releases called Santarans versus rutans and it is going to be covering the epic battle that has raged for millennia between these two races. We have an eighth doctor, a sixth doctor, a third doctor, and war doctor one. Um, have you had a chance to look over, read anything about this? Well, I mean, I excitedly shared this with Ashley the moment that I saw it was released because it's something that I, I actually can't believe that Big Finish hasn't done before because we've never actually really experienced a series of like war stories in that Santaran Rutan war. We've never had these. Uh, we've never seen a story with uh, Santarans and Rut Rutans fighting like during the war, um, really. Or, or they're really a discussion of the war. We always hear there is a war. And we know Santarans are fighting the Rutans and the Rutans are fighting Santarans, but we've never seen it, right? We've never, yeah. or heard it in, in this case. I'm not even sure there's been uh, narrative uh, books about it or books written about it. Or uh, It's one of those things that's weird. It's it's part of Doctor Who, but it's never been shown. Mm -hmm. ha have we have we ever seen a, have we ever seen a Rutan and a Santaran in the same story? They were together in the Infinity Doctors by Lance Parkin. They there was a like uh, part of the whole story is they're holding some sort of peace talks on Gallifrey between the Centaurans and the Rutans. They uh, finally end the war because they lock them in the TARDIS and they kill each other over and over again. And because of its um, facial abilities, they can't kill each other so they just keep attacking each other until they finally resolve their differences and end the war well that's disappointing it should never end it should go on forever <laughs> well uh it, it was an uh, kind of out of continuity novel well, so we won't really count that so we, we've got the centaurs and the rootins still fighting after all these years <laughs> and they've been fighting for a millennia so there's plenty of stories to be told yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a cool concept that uh, took them too long to get to. Uh, can't I know. I mean, this out. seems like, you know, Big Finish loves filling in those blanks. And this seems right up their alley. I guess they were so busy doing Lady Christina box sets. They didn't have time to get to this. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I commented to Ashley about because it's just like, I can't believe they've done this before. Yep. So Here it's we are. four stories starting January and then going through April. The Battle of the Giants Causeway by Lizzie Hopley. 
The Children of the Future by Tim Foley, Born to Die by Tegan, I'm guessing Tegan or Tegan Byrne, and In Name Only by John Dorney. So I'm not familiar with most of those, but at least, you know, we have Mr. Dorney on the finale. That'll be good. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. So this past week, brand new episode of Doctor Who, our first one as part of the Disney Plus streaming deal, The Star Beast, um, November 25th. So what did you guys think about it? Just overall impressions. So for the listening audience, we are going to be talking in very general terms for the first half of the show, half ish. And then we're going to rate the story, just like we do with our big finish reviews when we do those. And then in the second half, we're going to get into very spoilery territory. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, you can listen to at least half of our show. All right. So what'd you think? What's your overall so I, impression? I, I, what I love about this is the fact that it is a proper adaptation uh, of, of something. And it's put, in this case, a comic, uh, a, a comic story uh, from early Doctor Who weekly magazines. And you get, uh, you get it. I mean, it's almost a word for word adaptation in some portions of it. It's very, very similar. Um, and I love that. I think really they kind of did it with spare parts, but not really. Uh, but they did it well with uh, human nature. Uh, but they've not really done a ton of like full straight adaptations. Um, and I think kind of bringing in that, that spinoff media side of things was really uh good i mean it it followed it so well like i wasn't surprised by anything because it was that story uh it wasn't like they they kind of put it on there and while i'm sure it's going to lead into other things for the other stories and even beyond i think uh for the i mean it's a proper adaptation and i thought it was great i love um i love uh beep the meat i love the character anyways but i love the way that character is portrayed here um and i love the wrath uh warriors are, are portrayed they they're they look like they're out of a comic book which might maybe that comes up maybe that becomes something that plays into the the story i don't know but um it is it's fantastic i i really enjoyed uh at least that aspect of it i mean i find i find it interesting uh that russell decided to start his uh you know victory lap that he's doing here with doctor who um, with an adaptation, uh, because it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, the only one who's actually really done adaptations is Russell. You know, he's done several to this point. I mean, some more blatant than other adaptations, some straightforward and, and some, you know, just slightly adapted. Uh, but we didn't see really anything like that in the, the Moffat or, or Chibnall eras. I mean, Moffat, I don't want to say stole, but maybe copied some stuff, you know, I mean, God bless him, but but it never never a straight adaptation like Russell likes to do. So it it's almost like he is making a declaration of all right. Here's how we're doing things again, um, and we're doing things like adaptations again because that's something that I, I I did, and so I'm going to start off uh, by doing it. I you know I I'm a huge fan of spin-off media stuff and i'm a huge comic fan so i mean i'm well aware of uh beep the meep and i have to say i was worried going into this uh i mean obviously my outstanding thoughts on on tenant and davies have not exactly been the greatest i'll have to admit 
but uh, that that children in needs uh, Red Nose Day special um, really. I mean, obviously, I know it was trying to be funny. It's all part of a comedy sketch, but it really did not hit the right tone with me. And I was like, oh, my God, this is all my worst nightmares coming true. <laughs> uh, but getting into this, I mean, I don't know if it's just because, you know, I'm a fan of the source material um, or if Russell is, you know, adapted and uh, made some changes that uh, don't uh, quite hit my sore spots as much as he used to. And, and, and Tennant seemed to dial himself down a little bit. And even Murray Gold uh, did not seem like, it seems like they got somebody on the sound mixer to kind of like turn down the gain on his score. So it wasn't quite so obnoxious. Or maybe it's just the fact that I'm getting to see beep the freaking meep on the screen. I don't know. That just might cover a lot of it, but I, I actually enjoyed it myself as well. I was quite surprised. I mean, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I thought that Miriam Margulies did a phenomenal job of capturing the voice of the character. I thought that, you know, they have, they've had a big influx of cash. And you can see right there on the Meep that it's, it's a puppet with animatronic bits and CGI enhancements. And man, it just looked fantastic. That thing really looked convincing, I thought. Um, but as far as the story goes, I thought it was really well done. You had enough of the comic book story to tell what needs to be told, but still enough time with a 60-minute running time to get all the other stuff that you need to do to reintroduce a, a, a past doctor, sort of a past doctor, to reintroduce a past companion and her family and to catch you up on 15 years later. This is how their family has changed. I thought it was actually pretty successful in all those levels. How much of that idea of like Russell adapting that is part of the 60th anniversary and part of the celebrations? Like, look, there is mm -hmm. like this is a part of uh, Doctor Who in the last 60 years, and is I wonder if that's purposeful as a as a oh, absolutely piece I think of it Doctor is, Who, uh, or if it just happened. Yeah, it also works as a great introductory episode. I mean. I think it was the second of the uh, Doctor Who weekly comic strips. Yes. Um, after Iron Legion. Um, uh, so, but it works really well as an introductory story, even even in that. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I, I guess probably it's purposeful as a celebratory piece as well. I think that um, what you're saying is absolutely right. I think that for any new Disney Plus viewer who finds Doctor Who, because it's right up on the top of the screen when you log in, and I think that anybody that watches it, you know, other than not understanding um, the basic tenets of the show, I think you pick most of that up along the way. But I think that opening bit sets up the story really well for new viewers and gives you the information that you need to go into the story proper. When we get to the spoilers, we'll talk about that more. Um, I, I, it's an interesting choice that if this okay. is supposed okay. to be, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird having to have a, a conflict between it being a celebratory 60th anniversary series of specials and also like, Hey, our flagship show was sinking entirely and we need to bring somebody back to get the viewers back and we need to have a reintroduction to the show and right. the concept like 
I mean, like, I think it works okay, but like I said, we get this talk about spoilers uh, a little bit later on. Like, it's it the show is fighting against itself in that area. I felt. Yeah. Well, when I said introductory episode, I was thinking more along the lines of a se- uh, season opener, right? Like, it works like the story. Okay. I, and I didn't say that well, but uh, it really works as a great season opener. It would have worked in any of the previous, I think. Uh, and it actually works really well with if you look at um, um, Donna's first proper episode, not the Christmas story, but, uh, but uh, Partners in Crime. Um, it has a similar feel to that story. And Russell seem, tends to do these lighthearted season openers. And I, I have a feeling this is going to be uh, like, uh, you know, a... 13 episode uh, arc the way he would do in the old uh, before, but pushed down into three episodes and that season opener. Uh, it works really well in that Russell T Davies style of season opener. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting about that though, is that I saw it kind of differently in that Russell tends toward what I see as just, as you say, lighthearted, but also forgettable and throwaway episodes to launch his seasons. Whereas Moffat would come in and just hit you in the face with something really big. And I felt Star Beast was very different. I mean, it's not a partners in crime. It's not a new earth. It's not something that's, you know, just eases you back into the world of Doctor Who. This really comes on strong and presents a big story and has a lot of action. And, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about Rachel Talalay in a minute, but I mean, this episode looked phenomenal. So I think it's I think it's different in in terms of tone as far as like his previous season openers. I think I have to agree with you on that, Alan. I mean, it's one of the things that uh, really kind of impressed me here is it does show you that RTD has not been sitting back and ignoring Doctor Who and just you know, is coming back to pretend like, oh, this is just his next season done exactly the same way he would have done it if he continued on back in, what, 2009, whatever it was. Um, He has seen Mm. what Moffat has done. He has seen what Chibnall has done. And a lot of it feels like it builds upon the things they did. And also feels like it, it serves as a response to a lot of the things that they did. So it's not that he's coming back and redoing Doctor Who in a vacuum, the RTD way. He has actually, you know, incorporated a lot of the things that Moffat and Chibnall did. And it actually makes it feel like a very natural progression of the show. I mean, yes, you're still getting like a lot of your RTD-isms and things like Mm. that. But it is obviously he's, he's stepped up into another level uh, from what he's done. He's not just looking to rehash the past. He's actually moving forward, which I find impressive. Yeah. Well, I think that this being the first entry onto the Disney plus platform, he has to compete with Marvel. He has to compete with star Wars in a much more direct way than they've ever had to do before. And I think that that, you know, that requires of stepping up. And, and I think well, I mean, that, it's not even just stepping up. It's just the way that he's writing. I mean, just like, well, that's what I mean. He, that's what I mean. Well, well, sure, but I mean, like, I think his idea of the Doctor and what Doctor Who is not exactly the same as it was when he left. Mm-hmm. And I think that is because it's been informed a lot of what Moffat and Chibnall did with the series yes. since then. Yes. Because it would be very easy to come back in and say, well, like, I brought Doctor Who back. I made it a success. I knew what I was doing, and I am the only way to go. And then just completely, you know 
pick up where he left off and write the exact cane type of stuff. Like that'd be the easy thing to do, but he didn't, which is, you know, you know, credit to, you know, him where possible. Sure. Okay. So right at the beginning of the episode, I want to, and this isn't spoilery or anything, but uh, the, the first big thing after that little cold open thing that we get that we're going to talk about later, the first thing we see that kind of sets the tone for this new era basically is a new theme tune and a new title sequence. I love the new title sequence. I don't care for the theme, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I never have. I don't think there's really been any new series theme that I've liked all that much. And certainly, you know, uh, Murray Gold's ones have, have not been anything that I've really enjoyed. Um, so, you know, part for the course on that, but I thought the title sequence looked phenomenal. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, as far I'm, I'm with you in the theme. I mean, I guess at least the middle eight is there. So, you know, <laughs> hooray. But yeah, no, the, the theme looks very impressive. I mean, again, we're going to, we, I mean, we've kind of touched on the money issues. And we'll, when we get to, you know, talking about Talele's direction and the way that the episode looks, like, well, we'll come back to it. But it's obviously they've got more money yeah. and they're looking to use it. And the title sequence um, is pretty phenomenal. It, it's great looking and yet still homage is the past. I mean, obviously, when you use that logo and you've got that swirling tunnel, you're in there like yeah. you're always going to get us old school fans in for it. But I mean, it looks impressive. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed the opening as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I love the colors, uh, the, the color palette of that. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the one thing and this is one thing I was glad that Moffat eventually did bring in is I want to see the the uh, the doctor's face in the title sequence. Uh, sure. It's just yeah, one absolutely. of those Me things. Too. And Russell has never done that. And and he kind of has nope. openly said he doesn't want to do that, right? So I was hoping that of all the things that would like rub off from like the Stephen Moffat era um, is would be that. But we, <laughs> we didn't get that. I want to I want to see that. I want to see David Tennant's face like going through the time vortex, just especially in a yeah. 60th anniversary special, right? I mean to pay uh homage to that that would actually be a great way you could almost um mix mix all the title sequences for the last 60 years real quick and do that and then have all mm -hmm. the doctors and then have it hit uh my video production background is coming out right now like i want i want to see that uh and and so there's there's those kinds of things as well uh and i'd love to see that that mm -hmm. said that's just me something I, I have a preference of i absolutely love that it felt like doctor who was back uh, and it's honestly the first time I felt like this in a long time. So seeing that was finally like, yes, that like my show, this show that I love so much is like, it's actually gotten me excited. And that title sequence does a lot for that. Like it kind of gets you going and sets yeah. you up um, to enjoy what this is uh, for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the title sequence has always done that for me. And, you know, going into a Davison or a Colin Baker episode with the Peter Howell theme and the big flashy Starfield thing, that's my favorite title sequence of all. And it's, it makes you excited to see what is going to happen. Even if you've seen the episode 30 hundred times, it makes you excited to watch it. And I feel like this kind of captured that as well. <laughs> and at least we didn't have a flying surfboard in space. So, you know, there's there's a plus there. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh, I hated that stupid surfboard. And we can talk about how the episode looks without being too spoilers, because, boy, I, I, it seems like they got their money's worth and they were certainly uh, putting it on display. There was actually a moment where I thought, you know what, this this battle in the street 
is going on a little long. <laughs> I was actually like thinking, you know, we could do something other, but, but it looked so great. I mean, they, they flipped a van in the air with an explosion. I mean, that was amazing. I read that, you know, Rachel Talalay came into the show during Moffat and apparently she had applied, like she had pitched herself during Russell's time on the show and Russell somehow it never got to him from what he says. And he was like, he's like, I can't believe that, that you wanted to be on the show and I never knew about this. And so now he has a chance to correct that by getting her in the first thing that he does in this new set of episodes. So I was thrilled to see her on the show and I, everything she does just looks amazing. And this man, this just looked expensive. Yeah. I mean, like it, it looks phenomenal. Like, I mean, like I would agree that, you know, you're, you're in that battle sequence in the middle and they're like, man, this is going on along, but uh, oh yeah, this is like where they're showing, like where they're, where they're getting their money's worth. Like here, we're putting our money to yeah. work here. So here, here's, you're going to explain. But, but it, that being said, it really is impressive the way that the action just keeps ranching up and up and yeah. up during that scene until like you, you know, you get to the, the big explosions and all the excitement and stuff happening and the multi layers of things happening. Like, uh, with all, she does like these phenomenal drone shots throughout the course of the street. And it's like, it just looks expansive. And I mean, it looks like something that could stand side by side with an impressive Marvel action sequence, like that you would find on a TV Marvel TV show on, on mm -hmm. there, like a, one of those big running battles. So it's certainly, you know, you're getting your money's worth and she, she remains a phenomenal director. One of the best that modern who has seen for sure. Oh yes. Uh, I, I agree. I think it looks uh, fantastic. Uh, the one thing I would say is, and this isn't, this isn't on her, this is costume. And we talked about how great, um, uh, beep was, uh, and the meep, uh, was in that, in, in that costume. And I agree, but the wrath warriors, they are a little, um, I guess, um, and I guess it's the the idea, but they're they're very. Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, they it I, looks like it, they could barely move in those costumes, uh, and they mm. they are very. I don't know, but I, just, you're, you're I, wrong. I, I think they're phenomenal. The, the fact um, the fact that they stuck with the original date given designs for both Beef and the Wrath Warriors is phenomenal, and I thought they looked great yeah. brought to live action. Yes. Right. Like, I, I agree with yes. that. I just, they just felt like they couldn't they couldn't move. Like it looked like I didn't think those costumes disagree. looked as I don't I don't as, know what you're talking well, about. And, and you know, like I, this you is your bread me. and butter, Ashley, and you're I complaining about it. I don't get it. Like I thought they looked this. phenomenal. What is wrong with you? I, I know. I know. What is wrong with it's you? It's like a freaking Zarby out there. They look great. They don't move well. They don't, it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like these are like these intergalactic. Can, I mean, can we just stop? It looks to, like someone would just push them over. You know, feel what Ashley just said, what you said, if they don't look real. Well, of course they don't look real. They're bug aliens from outer space who fly in with their laser guns. How are they supposed to look real? It's impossible to make that connotation. But no, they, they, they move, right. you know, but like they're... an inhuman type of thing would move. I didn't find anything wrong with it. I thought they looked great. Like, and if you watch the behind the scenes stuff with like the actors on their stilts as they're moving on them, like I thought they would look phenomenal in the way that they just 
stood yeah. and it looked very inhuman and the movements are very inhuman, which I thought was great for the species. Right. And, and honestly, it's probably one of those things I need to pay more attention to uh, and watch again, but that's just one of those things that I, I noticed is I just didn't, I don't know. The movements got me. You are right though. That I, what I do love about it is they, I, I am shocked at how closely they stay, they, they stayed to that source material to the point where they look like they come out of a four color comic book. I mean, the, the colors and all that, they look phenomenal. I just, I just thought they didn't feel like they were going to, I mean, I felt like someone could just push them over and like run away from them. Right. I mean, it, I mean, they're supposed to be like these, uh, well, police officers, essentially like intergalactic uh, police officers. And I just feel like they weren't very intimidating, which, I, I guess it's yes. part of the right. the stick, right? And I thought seeing them in flight looked really cool. I thought that that was pulled yes. off. No, I absolutely. Yeah, I that. thought that was pulled off really, really well. And I was also this is something that was interesting about them. Uh, the choice to like not modulate their voice. Yes. Um, just was was. Uh, I'm not even saying it was bad. It was just it interesting. Was, like, it was I, surprising. Whenever, you give them this opportunity to talk, and they're just like, "Yeah, I was just gonna go do this thing." And and they were just they just sound like a guy, and you don't expect like this guy called a wrath warrior from outer space with like big bug eyes and wings to just sound like you know Ed down the street. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it was an interesting choice, and I, I and I think the right choice just to to use an unmodulated voice. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I, I, that feels like a very RTD decision to make. Like, obviously, he would say, oh, obviously, they would, they would talk like a, a normal person because they're just, you know, these uh, policemen going from planet to planet. Um, so they're going to sound like your average constable that you might find on the corner street. That's totally a Russell move. Okay, so let's talk about some of our performances, some of our actors. What did we think of David Tennant coming back into a character that he told us ahead of time was very different from what he played before? Is it? <laughs> well, I was going to ask you this question. Like, is making this comparison going to be considered a spoiler? I don't think because so. Because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I mean, like, I don't think anybody listening is going to be watch, listening to this without having watched the episode. I don't know who in the right mind would ever have done that. But all right, fine. If we don't consider it a spoiler, like, I heard everything that he wanted to say about, oh, I'm a different person. Oh, I'm, I'm playing it older. I'm uh, doing this and that. And like... And I've seen people say, oh, he's he's doing such a great job and being being different. And maybe slightly, no. but not enough to like I could like if you made me point point like watch a random clip with zero knowledge, like and not, you know, looking at it, and I had to just go by the voices and what's happening, like I would never be able to tell if I'm supposed to be listening to the tenth doctor, the fourteenth doctor. Maybe we'll get a little bit more. I mean, it's only his first episode back, and obviously you bring David Tennant in to be David Tennant. Um, and maybe we'll get some, um, you know, mm -hmm. more differences later on. But I don't really see a whole lot in this one. Next, yeah. stand but, out. But in the doctor. press coverage leading up to this, the narrative changed. It changed to what you just said. It changed to like, well, they brought me back to you know to be me. They didn't, <laughs> you know. But this doctor has had the, you know, Matt Smith doctor and the Capali doctor and the, uh, the Jody doctor. And they, that he has those experiences. So it's in that the, the character lived through all those other things. It's not so much that David Tennant is acting it differently. 
It's that the character that's the narrative that they kind of changed in the in the press run up as I was watching press clips. It wasn't so mm-hmm. much that David Tennant was going to to portray it differently. It was that the character has had more life experiences. And I think they played that off in the the point at, in that one scene where she where he at the very beginning, he's like, um, well, I want it's, a, it's possibly a spoiler when he's referring to his feelings towards Donna and he, you know, he. He says that he points out, oh, that's how I'm different now, you know, and it, it's almost like he's pointing out that he's different. But that's it. Other right. than no, I other agree. than him saying, you know, I was a young dude with a bow tie and then I was a Scottish dude and then I was a lady. Other than that, there was no difference. There wasn't any sense of this character having lived through 15 years of television time in other bodies and in other experiences. You know, it just seems like he picked up from 2009 and carried on. So, I mean, I, I enjoyed seeing him. I thought he his performance was great. I, I thought the, the character was done really well. I, it just doesn't seem like what it should have delivered, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, like, maybe I'm letting my impressions of his performance as the 10th Doctor temper me. Like, I, I, I try to just take a step back. It's like, if I had never seen any 10th doctor episodes, how would I find this mm. 14th doctor? And I mean, like it's near impossible to do that, but I, I mean, like I, I, it does feel um, barring like one or two moments that he has restrained his performance, you know, slightly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's not quite as over the top and exaggerated as I feel like he got at lots of times. And, you know, with the way that he would just, you know, vomit out, you know, just, you know, phrase after phrase and making himself feel all important and big and, and like, it didn't really do that in this episode. So it, it does feel like, I guess I'm kind of going back what I said before that he is a less expansive expressive version of the 10th doctor maybe that's enough for me to appreciate but okay. it, it's not okay. like obviously a yeah. different characterization because again they want him to be david Tennant. so sure sure i mean and they want they want fans who loved the 10th doctor and right. remember the 10th doctor and right. didn't watch capaldi and whitaker to get their fix absolutely all right we're at half an hour so Let's just go ahead and and give it a rating and then jump into spoilers because there's so much that we need to talk about that we haven't yet. So let's just do it. So Josh, what would you put this? I enjoyed it. I mean, like it's still Russell T, but it's good Russell T and uh, not quite as annoying. I don't want to rate it. Like, I feel like I want to kind of go with like a seven, seven and a half with the caveat that if I like the later episodes, I could retroactively like this a little bit more. I, again, yeah. like I think it is uh, a, a good anniversary episode. Um, like what it is looking to do, it is a good look back and celebration of uh, what's gone before. Uh, if we're looking to try to bring on new people, I don't think it is anywhere near as what it wants to be as being understandable to new people. It's, it's definitely something I find to be completely for existing fans or trying to bring back wayward fans. If we um, yeah, or you okay. know, be more honest with it. So yeah, seven seven and a half. I, I think I'm comfortable with that. Okay. All right, Ash. 
I I gave um a Day of the Doctor um an eight, and I I don't think this is Day of the Doctor quality yes, in terms of I agree anniversary. Right. Uh, so I I don't think I can give it an eight as much as I would love to because I enjoyed the episode a lot. Like I really like the story. I love the fact that it's an adaptation of of a comic story. Uh, absolutely love that. But I agree. I think I think seven is good. Uh, like I think it's a solid episode. I think it's um, it does what it intended to do. It adapts, so it's cele- it adapts the story, so it's celebrating the past while not beating you over the head with it. Maybe mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think it is. Now we also I think you have to take these three stories together. Like at the end of this, we need to rate all three of these. Together I would agree with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Thing, right. Right. Um, I think as a story on its own, I think I feel good giving it a seven because it's a fun story. Okay. It's an adaptation. It's it's got a cute little beep the meep. Uh, they're going to sell tons of toys with it. It's going to be great. I had planned. I am. I was going to I was going to, you know, recalibrate my whole rating system based on what you guys have said in previous episodes. And I'm not going to go all like crazy and histrionic or anything like that. And I'm going to keep it like a five is an average, perfectly good episode. So I, I'm I'm recalibrating. All right. So I was I was thinking that I would give this like a six and a half. I can't believe that y'all like rated this higher than I was planning to. <laughs> like I said, I mean, like again, like I, I find it I found it to be above average, which is why and right above average is a seven, which is where I landed yeah. on it. So you you're at a six point five. Yeah, you also have to remember like Russell T and David Tennant is my favorite new who. So yeah. I know I get a lot of crap for that, but it is. So this <laughs> This is it's it's hard for me to rate it as low as it and, is. and also yeah. and also I think I also have to consider that I'm grading this on a scale of I've survived five years of Chris Chibnall and now like I'm seeing the surface of the water again. I think that also colors my right. rating system. That makes sense. That makes sense. But I was thinking, you know, I think this is above average. I think this is, I'm, I've enjoyed this one more than I have a lot of the past David Tennant episodes, even though there were some really good ones, um, particularly in uh, series three and, and four had some good ones too. But, you know, I think the production really elevated this one. I think the adaptation really elevated it. I think that Russell's writing stepped up to it being a, a Disney plus show. So I, I think it's, I think it's very much above average and I'm going to go, I'm sticking with my six and a half. Right. Well, that I've... because, because I think that we, you know, we have no clue what we're going to get next week. We, we, we kind of know that it's going to be an epic conclusion in the third week, which is going to lead us into shooty. So I think that this is a good starting point and it's going to ramp up from here. I, I have, I have, uh, you know, high expectations for what's coming. So we'll see. <laughs> All right. So we are now going to talk about this in full spoiler mode. So if you have not seen this episode yet, by all means, go watch the episode and then come back and finish listening to us. Um, all right. Spoilers. What do you want to talk about first? What's the first big spoiler thing that you want to get to? You want to start with the the cold open? Yeah, let's just start with the open because I think it is... Oh, uh, it that cold open had me rolling my eyes, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is this is just not starting off well. This is going to suck so much." Um, it is so. 
<laughs> Again, like I'm, I'm looking at this. All right, I'm thinking if I'm saying, oh, great, you know, you this is on Disney Plus now. You got to come check out Doctor Who. It's great. It's, it's such a wonderful show. Come check it out. And this is the first thing somebody is seeing for the first time. I'm, I, you got to be kidding me. Like this, you know, like overblown melodramatic recap of what happened and i'm just like and then uh, what what does he say uh that made me roll my eyes so much about the what about the, the something of a time lord that um oh once upon a time once, once upon, upon a, a time, time lord I'm like, I'm like oh my god you've got to be kidding me yeah that was the stupidest line in the whole episode i do think that as far as like a a cryptic setup for what you're about to see. I think it was far more successful than that one from, Oh God, season, whatever it was. Oh, the end of season two where, where Rose is like, and this is the day that I die. Right. No, Oh God, that was so <laughs> terrible. This one was not that bad. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's pretty bad. Like I, the, you could have just done like a previously on Doctor Who, like on every other show that they ever possibly do and not have it seem quite so like over melodramatic. It was it just felt like RTD giving into his more like soap opera background, unfortunately. Yes. Like it, it, it course corrected quickly, but it really put a bad taste in my mouth to start with. It's like, oh, no. Yes. This is like RTD at his worst. Well, and, you know, that is a great point, because the thing that I dislike the most about Russell is his tendency towards soap opera. And we had a lot of family drama in this, but no soap opera. I felt, I felt like everything that was done was realistic. I thought it made sense. I thought it was, um, I thought it was so well-written as far as being believable and relatable. And it didn't go into like the, the melodramatics that he tends toward. And I was very, very surprised. Absolutely. Like, I think the biggest compliment that I can give RTD um, in this episode is it feels like he's finally learned to write background characters because his characters back in the day, like if you weren't one of the main cast, you were like there as a comedy or, you know, outright villain with no little to no nuance. Like, all you had to do is look at the difference between Sylvia's first appearance and then yes. her appearance in this story. And it's like night day yes, how much that character has improved. Yes, it is. So here's my question about that. Is that, and I, yes, let's say that he's written it better, I, that, but, but is that also show character growth? Uh, and yes. I, and I think, I mean, although we don't get to see the growth because she doesn't change by the end of season four, really. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit but i mean it's 15 years so it hopefully the character's grown some but you see this this character who is likable and she's never been likable right i mean right. She's, <laughs> like she she's actually it, by the end of it you're like kind of rooting for her yeah so i think that that shows that shows growth but yes i think it's because russell is writing her and honestly it was scaled back too like her character like was was a little over the top before right and like everything in this felt a little mellow like almost almost too mellow uh to I, some yeah to some points i agree and i think what this shows is that yes you see 15 years of growth in every one of these characters and i think that what it comes down to is donna has a daughter she has rose and i think that being a grandmother has really made 
Sylvia think of, you know, in different terms of being a mother because her relationship with Donna is different in this episode than it ever was in the original series. And I think that Donna has grown because of being a mother. And I think that that makes her relate to her mother differently. I think this is really, really successful in the way that it uh, portrays all of this little trilogy of characters here and how they have affected each other. And you don't have to have seen 15 years of growth because you see the result of it in this episode. No, I completely agree with everything you guys have just said. But and but my point is, I don't think that the Russell T. Davies of 15 years ago would have written no, that, I agree. that way. I agree. And yeah. and, and that, that's kind of my point. That's, that's what impresses me about him is that like because that kind of like character writing growth is something you saw like in the Moffat era, right? Yeah. Where you, you get you know, a nuances and characters evolve and grow and, you know, act like real people and not just caricatures. And everybody that appeared in an episode during the Moffat era would, would be more well-rounded and writtenly like, well-roundedly written like that. Most of, you know, any bit character in the RTD era, you know, didn't really get any sort of attention, but he's like, even like Donna's husband, as throwaway as he really is, like, I think that the the part that Russell writes for him is, is very well done. Like he is a very believable character. Um, he, it could have, he could have so easily have been written to mm -hmm. because Donna is such a overwhelming force he could have so easily have been a comedy husband character. And I think Russell 15 years ago would have written him that way, but he doesn't get that here. And I, I, I find that to be great. And it actually makes me very hopeful for the future of RTD written episodes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You definitely see an evolution of a writer in his process in this episode. Most definitely. Okay. We got to talk about this sonic screwdriver. Going back to John Nathan Turner, he got rid of the sonic screwdriver because he felt the writers used it too much as a magic wand to solve a problem or get out of the situation. He never had to deal with anything like what the new series has done with this stupid sonic screwdriver. And this week was the most egregious crime, I feel, where he just waves it in the air and draws uh, stuff that he needs, like a force field or a computer screen. I mean, I guess it's like an advanced 3D printer kind of thing, but holy smokes, that was crazy. <laughs> I mean, like I, I said at the very beginning that I, it was an improvement, but it, it still has, you know, a lot of Russell's RTD-isms, and that damn sonic screwdriver is one of them because he sure loves that sonic screwdriver and all the bits and pieces that go along with it. And yeah, this is... <laughs> something else like that whole force field thing I, I sat there and watched that it was like you've got to be kidding me like you've got to be kidding me out of all the things now he can have a force field out of his sonic screwdriver i mean and and it took him so long to draw the the force field and to scoot it into place <laughs> Such a long scene. <laughs> the, uh, so the screen was like that's the first thing we see is the screen and i'm like oh, all right I, I guess i can see that like like he's been like for the last even in the moffat especially in the moffat era uh, Matt Smith would like look at the screwdriver. Like, yeah, I said that it's the exact thing that I said to Alan. I said, I said at least yep. that's an improvement of like looking at a side of a screwdriver with no display and thinking that you're going to get Ooh. something out of it. 
So oh, right. I hated I, that I so get, much. So there's there's that. So okay, I get it. The screen that actually makes sense. It interfaces with what's on the screwdriver. You can see it. Uh, and and he does it in a corner. It's not in the action, but when he does the force field, <laughs> I, I'm just like it's like a it's like a, a magic pencil. You're just drawing it, and it turns yes. real. And yes. it's just, I, I mean, it's cool. It's visually appealing. Again, it's going to sell a lot of toys. A lot of kids are going to be waving it around, wanting to draw stuff. You know, they're going to make, have you seen those pencils that you can like 3D print, you can draw yes. things? Someone's going to make one that looks like a sonic screwdriver. That's exactly. As they should, right? Yeah, that's exactly <clears> what <throat> I was thinking of when I saw him doing that. I was like, I don't remember the name of that pen, but I was like, that's right. exactly what that is. But, the, you know, he also used it to like, when the soldiers come to the door and he like answers the door, he like uses <laughs> yeah. the Sonic to lift his visor instead of just lifting the guy's visor with his finger. It's the dumbest looking thing. <laughs> See, I, I actually, that part, I actually thought it was more about um, the, that the visor was mechanical and he was actually vibrating the, the mechanism that okay. raised it. But uh, that's the way I saw that. But yes, you're right. I'll go along with that. Raise that. I, I just kind of saw it as like it was. I a mean, I don't want to, but right. yes, yes, it's ridiculous. Was, but at the same yeah. time, I'm trying to be mindful of the fact that, all right, like I'm an old miserable bastard, and obviously I'm going to complain about things like this. But if I were a kid and I could have a sonic screwdriver and pretend I could draw force fields, I think that would be pretty damn cool. So I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt because sure, if a kid wants to be able to play Sonic Screwdriver, I mean, like, other than just like pointing a Sonic Screwdriver and taking readings, at least is actively doing something. I guess that would be cool if I were a kid. And so, sure, <laughs> as dumb as it is, it's perfectly for a kid. Okay, so we talked about Tennant and his performance. I just want to say going to the toward the end of the episode when we he goes into like pouty petulant mode with why does it have to be this it just seemed mm -hmm. like it was right mm -hmm. back to the end of series four with uh the end of time and the, the the knock four times nonsense which i you know just couldn't stand and it was only a moment luckily but it was just Oh man, I just like, oh, please let's not go back to that. No, you know, and I agree. I I absolutely hate that's like David Tennant that I hate the most is the shouty over the top melodramatic. But, you know, thinking about it, like I think it is it was purposely done because it is supposed to exactly like pull the rug out from under you because it's supposed to be a counterpoint to you know, uh, journey's end at the end of that story, because he was all crazy over dramatic in that story too. And he starts it out here. And then all of a sudden, like, no, that's not what's happening because of everything that's happening with Rose and everything else going on. And it's like, it's, it's the dramatic irony of what's happening, being taken from him and being distributed to, to Donna and Rose. So like, I, I kind of, if that's what they were intending, like, I am more okay with it as long as it doesn't come back again in the future. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. As, as long as that's putting it to bed, that's fine. But I just didn't, I just didn't like having to see that again, you know, like, like let's not go back to all the, the bad habits, you know? Right. And like I said, I, I don't think that they will. Like I said, I'm, I'm being, I'm trying to be very positive about this era because I, mm -hmm. I, I think again, it's, it's, 
this is like a, a big reset, and obviously, as you, you're bringing Tennant and Donna back, so you've got to address the ending from you know 10, 15 years ago. And I think this yep. is kind of like sets the stage to be you know wiped clean from all of that baggage. We, we deal with the you know cliffhanger of what Donna's status was, and you know the doctor thinks it's going to be the same way and acts the same way, but then everything gets switched up underneath him, and to the point where crazily enough they just oh we can decide that it's not going to affect us anymore <laughs> and so um and then you know we get a different kind of resolution than it would have been 15 years ago so again as long as that was the intention great if we see more david Tennant blubbering on again by the end of these episodes then sure i'm not going to be as looking for fondling on this i'm telling you it's only a couple of weeks before we hear him say i'm ready to go <laughs> i know that's happening like I, I have, <laughs> I have no question. You know it is. That is going to be his last words, <laughs> and I'm going to be disappointed if it's not. Okay, I mean, good. good. I mean, <laughs> I I really want to talk a little bit about Rose because I think that this is the crux of the episode. This whole thing of um, the meta crisis being passed down to uh, Donna's offspring and the effect that it has on that character. And I think there's it's an interesting angle and I don't know, I've got a lot of thoughts about it, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They're still sort of like swirling around in my head. It is it's difficult because it is. Um on the on the one hand, like I extremely commend this episode for, you know, the, the treatment of Rose. Like, I think she yes. is, you know, central to the episode. Um, I think it is like her situation and her, you know, trans nature is handled, you know, fairly uh, well throughout the entire course of the episode. Um, making her nature to be central to the resolution, I think is like really cool as far as, you know, normalizing, um, you know, and, and the treatment of uh, trans people and the, the way that, you know, again, we want to be inclusive. Um, we, we've got, you know, somebody in the wheelchair is episode playing a huge part in you know, not mm -hmm. making it about her being in the wheelchair, but still being actively part of the episode. And, and Rose's um, non-binary status is, you know, play up to be a, a huge big deal. Like I commend those things. Now, RTD yes. is sometimes about, you know, as subtle as a hit me over the head with a bag of bricks. Um, you know, so, so you, you got to go expecting that. But at the very least, like, even if it sometimes feels a little bit heavy handed, like the fact that he was able to do the story that is central about like putting like somebody who is trans and saving the day forefront on a Disney show that cannot be ignored um, is very commendable. And I, I, mm -hmm. you know, I enjoyed that. I totally agree. I thought she was a great character. The thing that struck me the most when I first watched this, and it's a small scene. It doesn't last very long. It's not dwelt upon at all, but it's Donna and Sylvia having that moment of, you know, sometimes I'm afraid I say the wrong thing. Sometimes I don't know how to relate, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I mm -hmm. thought that that was really brave to put that in because it's honest, you know, 
all of us, all of us have those moments Absolutely. where we don't really, Absolutely. where we, you know, we, we don't know what pronoun to use. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to address a certain person or, or what you should say to, to not be disrespectful. And, and I think that everybody struggles with that on different levels. And I really, really liked seeing that represented on screen. So it wasn't even just the, you know, representation is important. And it wasn't just Rose. It was the people around Rose that I felt were were well represented. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's even braver. Um, and I mean, like, it makes sense based on where we got with that is, is making a direct line between the doctor and somebody who is trans. Like, obviously, the doctor is, uh, you know, you know, they change gender. He can change gender. Time Lords can change gender. They they are non-binary species because of the way they can change gender. So, you know, making that explicit, um, I thought that the yeah. pronoun scene, which, you know, starts off like yeah. maybe a little bit eye rolling and cringy, but I think like it wraps up beautifully the the way that you know the, the meat you know makes it very clear that well i don't you know assign gender i just go by using my definite article and obviously the doctor's been doing that for years and he makes that connection like yes. I thought that was a great ending to that yes. scene one thing that i i kind of took away is you've, you've got kind of all these different things happening around rose you've got someone who doesn't feel like they fit in uh, but the thing that I loved is she went out to her shed and her neighbor runs by her and, and, uh, makes a point to, um, to address her and you, you get this and this is right after uh, she had a, a, a different run in, uh, yeah. and, and this, and you see this, this young kid completely accept her. And I, I, I love that moment. I, I thought that moment was great. And you see this, you see this, this character who is kind of based on a character from the comic uh, throughout this, the story. And I just, I, I really like that, that moment. And it's similar to the moment in the kitchen with Donna and uh, yeah. Sylvia. And um, I thought there were a lot of little moments like that, that just made it real. I agree. And that comes, as you say, right after um, there have been some, you know, some voices that have criticized Russell for quote unquote dead naming Rose because you have these classmates who ride by on bicycles and call her Jacob and and address dress her as him. And I thought that it was equally brave to include that scene because it sets up what we have you know, in, in the resolution with Rose about how, you know, I finally feel like I'm myself, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it shows you what trans folks go through on a daily basis. It shows you the struggle that they always have to put up with. And, and I thought, you know, you, you want representation and you want positive representation, but I think you also have to have the the i think it only becomes positive when you see the negative that the positive comes out of if that makes any sense i thought that was a great scene i i've, I've felt so i mean you can relate to rose so easily because everybody has been bullied everybody has been made fun of it's a different matter when you're trans you know especially at that age so I just, I, I, I thought that was such a good scene and it was so important to have kept that in. So good for them. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Like, I mean, I understand where the complaints come from for, for people yes. uh, complaining about that. But again, I, I, I think you are right that it, it does, you know, the, the idea is 
we're making a statement here that Doctor Who is completely inclusive, no matter what form status you are, right? It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, where you've been, what you've gone through, like Doctor Who is for you. I mean, th that's like what this statement is all yeah. about. This is what this, you know, this whole episode seems to be saying about that. It, it's not just, you know, straight or gay or, you know, black or white. I mean, like it's everybody, like no matter yeah. where you fall on any sort of a spectrum, like disabilities, like Doctor Who is for you. And obviously, people have struggled with you know their differences and and they all go through that and i think number one showing the reality of, of somebody going through that like and how, how they have to deal with it like it, it you know shines a light that these are the type of things they have to do with and then second of all like it also shows like donna who let, let's remember donna when she first like was absolutely not an understanding type of character Right. And to, to show how she is now in regards to her daughter um, and how protective she is and, 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 you know, how much she has come along the way after all these years, like, and how, like, she's ready to just go rip these guys a new one um, yeah. is, it, I think it, it shows a bit about their relationship and what Rose means to Donna and what she's, how far she's willing to go. Um I, yeah, I think it's a good scene. Um, again, yeah. I, understandable, but I, I think it works. We haven't really talked about Donna. We haven't talked we haven't about the TARDIS. Really. Well, we did talk a little bit about Donna because we talked about her in relation to the characters in her life. But what do we think about Donna as a return to the show and and Catherine Tate coming back to this character after 15 well, I mean, years. like, I think Donna was always the best companion of the RTD yeah. era. Um, and she's obviously got a great rapport with David Tennant. So, um, I mean, and she's, you know, got a decent name for herself. So, you know, why not bring her back? Um, and I, and I, and I, I do like, cause Donna always got the short end of the, of the stick by her resolution. Um, and coming back and fixing that, I think feels nice. Um, I mean, she really got like, yeah. I mean, she, short of being killed. And I mean, I mean, there's an argument to me, like even death would have been better than, you know, having all that um, taken from her and her, you know, her say in the matter, essentially like um, giving her, giving her autonomy. Cause again, she didn't get to make decisions at the end and it was all taken away from her. And then giving that back to her, like it feels very rewarding um, and like rectifying an error from the past. Mm. So my question is, was it too easy? Like, do we wait 15 years and then say, like, oh, well, that was easy. Like, I, that wasn't that big of a deal. Like, there was no consequences from that. Um, and and maybe there will be still. We don't know. I don't. It doesn't sound like there's going to be. It sounds like it was rectified with that. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't think I think it was it was great. It's great to have Donna back. It's great to not have to worry about that. Um, you, we've also we've also rectified uh, Jamie and Zoe. Uh, through the uh, the <laughs> tales of the the TARDIS, um, so they're they're kind of doing away with this memory wipe thing, I guess. Th that's the only thing I would think. It seemed like it was like there's a big build up, and then like it was just done. It was just like, oh no, we fixed that. You know, 15 years, we fixed it in two minutes or whatever. It was great. It was dramatic. I liked it. I'm just wondering. If it was no, I mean, easy. like, and I, and I and I get where you're coming from. It, it does seem very easy. I mean, like I. I, I guess it is just a part of, I mean, let's, let's be honest, like 
Russell has never really been concerned with like, you know, like the, the, the science and the explanations and like, you know, he, that, that doesn't care to him. It's the human drama that he cares but about. But even in a obviously. dramatic way, it seemed too easy. Like I would say even dramatically, it seemed like, well, I mean, but it's also kind of making a point. Like his point is like, you know, we, we have these people who are, I mean, again, and I, I'm not saying that I love this. I, 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 I'm kind of mixed feelings on it. But like I get where he's coming from. Um, I, I think like it's kind of disingenuous. Like the whole like, well, uh, a male presenting Tyler would never think that just being able to let go. Like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's kind of like real heavy handed there, yeah. Russell. Like, I mean, like that's like about as ham fist as you can get. And I mean, that's a Russell specialty. But I mean, like, it, again, I think it's coming from a good place. And I understand what he's trying to say. And like I don't dislike it, and I, I mean I think I don't love it because obviously I would like to have some sort of rational explanation to why they could just you know resolve the issue. But again, the whole point is you know Donna and her daughter coming together, and you know the fact that you know her daughter is this special non-binary person and is finally realizing like the way, the reason why she feels this way and why she is who she is and, you know, able to come together with her mother and they're sharing the whole meta crisis powers and whatnot. And then finally you can just like together get rid of it. Like, I don't think they could have done this, you know, with just Donna, like it would not have been possible. It's the the fact that she's got her daughter with her and the, the way that the daughter is the way that she is, is able to have, I mean, like you squint, I'm fine with it. But um, and again, it's just is point out the importance of the relationship between Donna and Rose. All right. So the episode ends with the reveal of the new TARDIS set. I love it. It's I mean, like, especially after living in the, you know, Chibnall TARDIS oh, for God, years, yes. that monstrosity. Uh, I mean, obviously you, you this... go clear, stark, white, classic feeling evoking, like you've got, you've got me there. You've got roundels there. Like, I love it. <laughs> it looks amazing. It's, it feels huge. Yes. And it is huge. I mean, just the, the sheer size of the set is massive. Again, showing off the money that they got. Yeah, totally. It's really strange because you're right. It is it is huge and it is this stark white, so futuristic looking. Uh, and every time I saw it, I couldn't decide if it was real or not. Like every time, like the way it's shot, like the it like even in pictures, like there was a picture of uh, uh, Colin Baker and Nicola in mm-hmm. in the TARDIS, right? And I was looking at it and I'm like, is I I can't decide if it's just green screened or not. I mean, I know it isn't. It's a it's a real set, but it the the stark white almost is it's a lot um it's beautiful i love it um my my favorite tardis will always be the tv movie tardis mm. that that's i that's i think a tardis is should be should be <laughs> lived in and uh it's and and this was this goes way back uh yeah russell t davies uh when he first came in he was like the question is is the tardis a winnebago that takes you to the destination or a place that you live in uh, or is it or is it the, is it your home or is it a pl- thing that gets you? And I always envision the TARDIS as a home. So um, th- this one, this it feels it'll be I think it's going to I'm going to enjoy it more when it gets a little more lived in. Well, obviously, uh, the problem is with it is there's no hat stand. Throw a hat stand in there is perfect. Yep, you're right. You're right. <laughs> or or just a random uh, Shay lounge <laughs> off to the side. <laughs> 
Um, I think that the the array of lights is a bit much. I mean, I love the futuristic look. I love the clean white look. I think it's great. I think the you know they're talking about how the 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 light can like spell out words if it needs to. And I'm like, eh, I don't know <laughs> if I want to see the TARDIS spell words out. That's a bit much, um, you know, and it can produce any color you want. So it can be a blue TARDIS or a white TARDIS or a orange, whatever. Um, but I, but the shape of it, the, the ramps, I, I think is really nice. I really love it. I think it's gorgeous. What, what do you guys think about the, the circular doors? Um, that's something that I noticed. And to me, they feel very, uh, very Dalek-y almost. Uh, mm. They're circular, and I, I, I don't think that's purposeful, but it's just something yeah. I notice. I think it's, I think it's interesting that they're placed weirdly around the room with a ramp that leads up to each one, and there's not like any particular, like you can see the second floor because all the doors are on that same level. They're all in different places, and I think it's an interesting touch. I think it's really cool. I think it sort of like leans toward the infiniteness of the interior of the TARDIS. I think it's very cool. No, I just, I just love that it is so well lit. Like, especially like, man, with, with oh Jody's God, TARDIS, yes. but like, but even like a Polly's TARDIS, like it was fairly dark in there. Um, I just love that yes. it is so bright. I mean, like, again, it, 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 it takes me back to, you know, my first days of, of watching Davidson era and how white everything was in that console room. Um, and I just, I, it yeah. feels right to have it so well lit to me. Well, it just goes right back to the five-ish doctors where the classic doctors come on the new set and like, oh, I just can't do with all this <laughs> <Right>. mood lighting. <laughs> what, what do you think about the console itself? I mean, we haven't, I mean, I guess we did get a pretty good look at it. Um, it's fine. So it's okay. I, I, it's okay. It doesn't look like it's made of so much trash as his other ones. So like, I, I mean, like oh the, God, the trash yes. consoles, I can't stand. I now again, I haven't really got a really yeah. good look at the console and what all it's comprised of. I'm sure there's bits of trash in there, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I, <laughs> give me a nice modern futuristic looking console any day. Give me the Capaldi one that was that I was a that one was beautiful and so perfect and this one is almost like mm -hmm. it's a mix between that and the old trash tardises you know because it's it's jumbly but it's cleaner than the ones from uh yeah. Russell's so I, don't really, I have to go back and watch like the rotor like obviously it like it looks digital mm -hmm. so i couldn't tell if there was really a whole lot of physical parts inside the time rotor um yeah, no, but I mean, never like, really you see the light go up and down in it, but you really can't tell like if there's like yeah. crystals in there going up and down either. Right. One of the I I was watching uh, I, I don't know a YouTube video or something, and someone was talking about it, and they were um, talking about how um, how this one has discs in it, and it does uh, as opposed to tubes. You know, the classic uh, classic mm -hmm. uh, TARDIS had tubes that went in it. Um, and, and so I hadn't paid a ton of attention, but I did look at that. It does have kind of discs going through. So I thought that was an interesting kind of a different kind of, um, approach to it. And it's more of a classic time rotor, uh, in, yeah. in, in a way without the tubes, but still it's, it's not crystals crashing into each other. Well, as far as I'm concerned, nothing will ever top the Ronnie's console in <laughs> Mark of the Ronnie. So, you know, there you go. All right. So 
that does it for us this week, except that maybe I'm just wondering if Josh has got something for us in oh my God. spinoff media corner, because there is a very, very obvious place that this could go. And I'm just curious to know if you're going to go that obvious or not. Well, I mean, like the obvious thing is big finish did an adaptation of the star beast um, on audio uh, with the fourth doctor and the companion uh, from that story that got added in the comics, which is Sharon. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess obviously that's where we're we're going to point to because you can experience it and, you know, you know, me, me being an an old fan and, you know, I love beep the meep. Um, then big fish has used beep a couple of times, but, um, the fact that they were so adamant, like, it's like, okay, we're going to use beep the meep, but we're not going to use the name beep too much that's a step too far we get the little furry creature with the big eyes and and the teeth and it's all evil but can't call it beep it's just too far that's just like why i mean it's beep why have to just refer to it as the meep but you know that's just me just ignore me i know that's too far but but you get full-on beep beep from beep to meep in the adaptation of the star v so yeah you can check that out or you know go back and read the original uh comic um you know you do have the ad- the collections out there um yes panini's done them and they even got reprinted by idw so th- they're out there not hard to find at all if you want to read the uh, original comics uh, some great uh, dave gibbons art there was also a right sequel on. to the comic i did not know this there was star beast yeah. 2 uh, which I've not, I don't think I've read that one, but uh, I, I, in doing some research, I saw that. So there's, there's that as well. And I will, all right, because this will be like the one time we can actually talk about Beef the Meep. There is a story that I believe you can get from free on the Big Finish website called Cuddlesome, which is a fifth doctor story. Yes. Uh, where he goes up against Beef the Meep. So. Yes. Yes. And it's an okay one. Yeah. It's, it's not like the original comic. It's, you know, on that level, but it's, it's pretty good. There was a sixth doctor one called the rating wars, ratings, the war. ratings war. Uh, right. Was, that one's I a good one. Also, it might be free. Also. I'm not sure. It was a doctor who magazine special. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the bonuses and it, it yeah. may be free on the website. I haven't even looked to see if it is. Uh, I believe maybe both of them probably yeah. are. So that's, that's two good resources to go hit up mm-hmm. on bigfinish.com. All right. We are going to be back in one week to talk about the second episode, which is Wild Blue Yonder. And I'm looking forward to this because we pretty much know nothing going into this episode. Can't wait. So everybody take care. Have a great week. And we will see you next time. Be seeing you. We'll see you soon. Doctor Who A to Z, a show that covers everything Doctor Who from beginning to end, from 1963 to present, from Hartnell to Gatwa, from Auton to Zygon.
Thanks for listening to Doctor Who A to Z. You can find episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and other podcast networks. Theme remix used by kind permission of Doctor Who composer Dominic Glenn. We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at Z at gmail or leave a comment wherever you're listening. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. See you next time. And until then, remember, we're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one. Yeah.